Hello, you are listening to the Natural Wisdom Podcast, and I am Christine Backus. Today is July 9th, and this is the 21st episode of the second season of this podcast. Um, Today, I'm going to be continuing again on the theme of last week when I talked about free will and karma and astrology, and we're going to dive a little bit more deeply into the ways in which we give our power away to astrology. Um, It's come up a couple of times in the last few weeks, and so it's on my mind. And before I go any further with that, um, let me first just say thank you to those of you who spend your time and attention on this podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, it's, It's an honor, actually, to know that people are listening to it because you have lots of choices. So thank you for spending some of your time with me. Uh, And then the other thing I want to mention too, just a little announcement is that uh, it's not too late to sign up for my karma in astrology class series. Um, It's called discover karma in the astrology chart. It starts on Friday, July 15th, but the early signup bonuses end tomorrow night, Sunday night, July 10th. And they include a discount on a reading with me, um, a free class of your choice from one of my planetary deep dives, and uh, a chance to have your chart read in class um, with your permission, obviously. So let's just get started. Uh, I thought I, I wanted to talk a little bit about current astrology because I took a look at the news headlines this morning and I realized how much I'd missed by not Um, paying much attention over the last week, it has been a volatile week. Um, And I say that knowing that um, there are many ways for the energy combinations to show up. And we've seen what the news media wants us to see, right? Remember, everything is curated. Everything you read on the web, everything you listen to on the news, any kind of media source, including me, right? We curate, everybody curates what's they, what they put out. So um, that's just a little uh, sort of like a reminder for when you're watching the news that somebody else has determined what is news and it's up to you to decide um, if you agree with that decision. But what the news media has, has uh, pointed out as news this last week has been pretty volatile. Assassinations, resignations, fires, um, some market disturbances. There's just kind of a little bit of everything, some of it fairly severe shootings. Um, And what we've had over this last week, um, last, I think, Saturday, I think it was exact, we had Mars, the planet of action and desire and animation, motivation in a way. Um, It was in a square, an exact square to Pluto, Uh, god of the underworld, god or goddess of the underworld. They're both planets that have a lot of um, energy, like active energy behind them. They're both both very uh, strongly energetic planets. I guess all planets are strongly energetic, but they're the more outward um, dynamic kinds of energy in many ways. Mars, um, known as the warrior, But as we get into it, we'll talk about why we might want to think of a different sort of common term for Mars, like maybe the animator, 
um, maybe uh, between Mars and Pluto, we can look at them both as aspects of life force energy, like the life force energy that has to flow, that has to move. And Pluto's comes from very deep down in the core. Mars is a little bit more um, directed by, I'd say it's more like on the material plane is the way I would look at it, where Pluto is a, a more like the underworld plane. Um, but those two were in a dynamic angle, a square. And if you think about, um, if you think about the concept of power uh, and the fact that power and desire and action animation gets repressed so often, both as individuals, but in a large part because of the way our culture views power and uh, yeah, views power. What happens with some of these planetary movements and planetary energies is that when they get in that dynamic angle, it becomes volatile and explosive because there's no, um, because that tension, there's a great deal of tension. And because culturally, power does not flow freely very often. And when it does, it's still very distorted which I, I know I've talked about a lot on this, um, this podcast over probably the, its, its entire life, the difference between power and control. Power is the ability to act based on desires. It's, the, it's this, essentially the ability, ability to express. That's true power, the ability to express from the soul. Um, okay, so that's one of the things that's been going on in the sky the last week that we may have seen some evidence of and felt it in ourselves. And in fact, um, I found myself getting in a Facebook fight with somebody last Friday and had the, um, I had the ability to sort of stop and go look at my chart and go look at the, what was going on. And then realized this is a time where there's a lot of energy and power that wants to come out. And it's necessary to either cool off, which is what I did, or find a constructive way to express. And of course, art, all creative endeavors are constructive ways for power to express. Um, and that can tend to be less destructive. I suppose there is definitely destructive art out there as well. Um, yeah, and destruction is sometimes necessary, right? Uh, so uh, let's, I'll come back to some of that, I'm sure. I wanted to talk about what's going on today in the sky in this lead up to the Leo full moon on Wednesday. And the Leo full moon comes at the time when the moon is the very closest to the earth that it's going to be all year. So it's not just a super full moon, it's a super, super full moon. It's going to be extra strong if you're near a coastline you get the opportunity of um, extra low tides to go explore and extra high tides to be careful. Um, so that's, that's something that's, again, uh, if you think about energy moving in cycles, that's building this week, this energy all the up to this full moon in Leo, or sorry, in Capricorn. I think I said Leo, but it's in Capricorn on Wednesday, which is July 13th. Meanwhile, today, interestingly enough, as I'm talking to you, 
we have an opposition between the moon and the planet Uranus. And we've talked a lot about Uranus in this podcast because Uranus is one of the major players of the year and continues to be one of the major players in the year because it's in Taurus and it's getting closer and closer to the North Node in Taurus where it will join, they will join together, I think on the last day of July. And Uranus is almost like the definition of volatility because it represents I shouldn't say it represents, it holds and carries and expresses the energy of acceleration and change. So under um, Uranus transits and when Uranus gets activated either, well, by transit or natally, uh, what we're looking at are periods of accelerated and sudden change and turnarounds and breakthroughs and breakdowns and breakups and breakouts and as my teacher um, said so many times, breaks of all kinds, breaks as in B-R-E-A-K, not B-R-A-K-E, <laughs> um, breaks, breakout, breakthrough. It's the breakthrough or breakdown planet. It rules things like lightning. Um, and so today we have the moon opposite Uranus. Maybe we'll see effects of that. I don't know. Um, maybe you'll see it in your own life, particularly uh, if, like me, Uranus is in a particularly um, like sensitive part of your chart. I have Uranus conjunct my moon. So it's a very, very Uranian time for me because I also have Uranus an exact square to my natal moon, which means it's close to my Uranus square. So what that means is I'm going through my own period of accelerated change and radical shifts in direction and turnarounds and breakthroughs and breakdowns and it's a wild ride um, but it's all in the name of freedom so today what we're getting is uh, just for a couple of hours in fact i think it's already easing um, it's 10 o'clock in the morning here in montana and i think it was exact an hour or so ago um, but this moon opposite uranus may give us a little bit of uh, taste of what we've been dealing with with the eclipses both the past ones and then the two that we still have left this year in uh, late October and early November because both of them will activate Uranus again Uranus uh, the one of its nicknames is the great awakener and it's about real liberation true liberation um, liberation from anything that we have internally and sometimes externally as the boxes that hold us in. Uh, it's a very powerful time when Uranus is activated. And even in these few hours this morning, it might've been a very powerful time to um, take actions or set intentions that help you feel more free, that help you become more free. And so this is one of the energies that's leading up to the full moon. And this is a brief one. It just, I thought it was interesting um, that it's happening today. And of course, the other thing that, um, that makes that particular configuration worth noting is not just that it's moon opposite Uranus, but that Uranus is coming closer and closer to the North nodes, just a couple of degrees away. And the moon is conjunct the South node. Um, and so it, the nodes represent um, that destiny, those points of destiny in the sky, the sort of points of fate and destiny. 
And so again, it sort of adds to, it's a good time to be talking about free will and astrology today. Um, then the one other thing I wanna mention, just because it will be active at the full moon is Venus, the planet Venus. Venus is in Gemini. G uh, Venus is the ruler of the North Node. It's a ruler of Taurus where the North Node is and where Uranus is right now. So Venus has that extra influence. Venus in Gemini is social, very social, wanting connection, wanting to relate. Uh, that's Venus is, has a lot of that characteristic anyway, that relational characteristic. But then in Gemini, Gemini, it's really wanting dialogue and, and wanting to relate with curiosity. And so this is a really, it's very supported right now to be curious um, and be curious in conversations with people, whether you agree with them or not. And then Venus is in a, coming into a tight square with Neptune. Neptune is sometimes known as the higher octave of Venus. Uh, Neptune, the god or goddess of the seas, um, the, it's the energy of dissolving, whereas Venus has sort of an energy of relaxing. So this combination, there's a lot of idealism and a lot of softening, which we could all use right now, right? So we can, uh, even though this is a dynamic, so a tension between the two planets, uh, it, it um, would point us to really thinking about how we can soften our views, soften and relax in our conversations with each other, be more open and curious, and be careful not to overdo um, the idealism or the dissolving or the boundarylessness that comes with Neptune. So uh, I will, I, I think I said I'd do it last week. I'll try to do it again this week. Um, Emily Trinkus does her, um, and she's been on the show several times. She's my teacher and mentor. She does new and full moon calls that are offered in the gift um, I highly recommend that if you want the deep dive into the energies of the full moon, that you look up her, um, her offerings and, and uh, listen to that. And I'll, I will put a link. So let's go on to astrology and free will. And this kind of goes along with this whole discussion about karma, because again, our understanding of karma, and I know I talked about this last, well, several times, is kind of, we get into a fatalistic approach and then we carry that fatalistic approach in many areas of our lives. Um, and when I think about it in relationship to astrology, it, it, it's, there's a, I think I may have said this last week, I'm seeing a trend where astrologers, astrologers seem to be taking the place of spiritual teachers in some cases. Um, in, in other words, people that might not have been following spiritual teachers now are following astrologers and they're fulfilling similar functions. It's about getting a sense of certainty in a very uncertain time and in our uncertain lives. Um, astrology can give us insights into what we're feeling, how we're feeling, how we're built, um, how we become our best selves. Astrology has 
a tremendous amount of power and insight. It's one of, I mean, it's why I love it. It's probably why you listen to some degree to this, this uh, podcast. And astrology, like spirituality, can be used to project our power elsewhere, outside of ourselves. And what I've been seeing in uh, a couple of readings and some other um, discussions about astrology, it's not new, but for it's become more into my awareness, is the ways that people look to astrologers for answers, the ways that people look to astrologers um, for like a truth that is already within them, rather than and this is the way I try very hard to practice astrology, rather than the astrologer as the translator and the interpreter of the language of energy within you and within the cosmos, right? As above, so below, as without, so within. Um, So the astrologer doesn't have answers that you don't have, but may have access to those answers in a way that makes it more possible for you to understand them and hear them and access them. Um, And uh, so what I've been seeing too, is that not not just people projecting their power onto astrologers, when will I feel better? When will this stop? When will this start? When should I do this? When should I do that? Um, When will I meet my soulmate? Those kinds of things. Um, Yes, astrology can give us a good sense of timing on when there, like conditions are ripe for certain things. Um, And then, yeah, certainly there are astrologers and forms of astrology that are more accurate in predicting certain things but they can't really predict certain events. Um, they might predict, predict, again, like conditions ripe for those events. And in fact, there were several astrologers. This wasn't well known in um, the mainstream, but there were several astrologers who predicted a pandemic with the Saturn-Pluto South Node-Jupiter conjunction um, in 2020. Did they say exactly what would happen with that? Uh, no, but they definitely did predict a, um, a pandemic. Uh, but of course, there are many forms that that could come in as well. So in terms of that whole concept of astrology and free will, so that's one of the first things I want to say is that you can We can ask ourselves who we're giving our power away to by seeing who we're afraid of, what we're afraid of, and who we're looking to for answers about our own lives. Uh, And that uh, that would be like one of the tests I would use to find out, am I giving away my authority or my power, my authorship, if you will, over my own life? And again, astrologers can be incredibly supportive if you're looking to make a big decision or you're at a crossroads and you can feel you're at a crossroads, but you're not really quite sure what the context is, or you really don't know what's next and why you can't seem to gain traction or what's blocking you. There are lots and lots of reasons that astrologers can be helpful. 
but it's incumbent on astrologers as well as on us as clients to not look to the astrologer and not uh, like one of the things I will tell clients is to take everything with a grain of salt. And if I say something that does not sound correct, then we look at it a little bit more closely and find um, a way that does resonate because you know your truth, right? Um, so the other thing I want to kind of, that's one of the, that's one of the rants, I guess, if you will, that's on my mind. But I also want to kind of broaden this discussion about astrology and free will, because we talk a lot about cooperation. And I, I know it's a buzzword, but there's a, um, the term co-creation, I find very helpful in understanding how we operate in the cosmos, within nature, um, with each other, because everything is in relationship with everything else. And power, the power of change is not one-sided. Power is, um, it's a conversation. Power is always a conversation and a co-creation. And I, I want to give a couple of examples. Um, one is that we think we can easily get stuck in the thinking, let me put it that way, that planets act on us, right? That Mars, when we get a Mars tra transit, uh, Mars makes something happen. There is some truth to that obviously, because Mars is an energy and that energy um, influences us. And uh, again, based on how our chart is built, um, Mars will have, uh, will, that energy will more easily be relatable to our chart and to our own circumstances or not. Um, but Mars doesn't make it happen. Mars doesn't cause us to cut ourselves, to bleed, to um, become violent, to be angry, to do these other things. Mars has an active energy. And if we're um, not paying attention to what's going on for us, with or without the benefit of looking at it and seeing it in the chart, if we're not paying attention then that energy can be expressed unconsciously as violence or anger, or can be expressed consciously as violence or anger as well. Um, but it's not that Mars is making us do that. It's that if we're not conscious of it, we're not, um, we're not putting it to conscious use. We're not co-creating with it with intent and purpose. And the other thing I want to say about this influence of the planets and this is a little bit more subtle but we influence the planets as well so when we have a collective belief that mars is going to um, be a violent mars transits are violent mars transits are um uh, well whatever you want to say about whatever negative connotation you can come up with uh, for a mars transit they cause wars, um, they cause fights, they create violence, whatever it is. If we have a collective belief, and even just among the astrology community, that Mars is going to 
do a certain thing to us or to um, our culture, then that strengthens that part of the energy, right? Because it's not, these things don't happen in a vacuum. We're not separate. So Mars is not separate from those of us that are um, talking about it or, or conscious of it or um, watching it. And you, in a way, you can think of the ancient, well, and they're not just ancient practices, some forms of astrology practice some kind of deity worship with the planets. They see them as um, deities, as in, you know, representing divine forces, which in a sense they do. And so there's a, a process of worshiping and propitiating those gods or goddesses. And that is how we, that's, worship is a way of co-creating. Um, and so I'm not suggesting you have to go worship Mars when you, during a Mars, Mars transit, but maybe that's something you'd want to do. And you want to worship in a way that you're um, rather than giving your power to it, saying, please don't do this to me. It's more of an honoring the, the archetypal energy of the planet and making a decision, if you will, on how you want to work with it. Um, and as an example of that, uh, when I've, in fact, this is a good reminder for me right now with this big Uranus transit that I'm in, what I've suggested before um, is that with Uranus, we can, to work with a Uranus transit, because it is that very sudden accelerated change and it, it means breaks, right? Um, I have actually found myself breaking things during Uranus transits. Um, one of my best examples was when Uranus was squaring my ascendant. I had one of those semi-unbreakable Corian plates in my hand and I dropped it on a stone walkaway, walkway and it shattered. Now, did Uranus cause that? I don't think Uranus caused that, but was there an energy at work in my body and in my um, sort of my um, my existence, my environment, even that had that sort of sudden change, sudden break, that sort of energy of buildup of tension and quick release. So there are other ways to work with that energy. And for instance, you can think about um, breaking a habit or maybe you want to break out of some restrictive belief systems you have. And of course, a lot of this will depend on what part of the chart it's in and what part of the chart your, your natal Uranus is in. Um, but this is where... If we, can at, if we can at least be open to the possibility that we can co-create with these energies, it gets us out of victim mode, out of, oh, Uranus transit coming along. Oh my gosh, all these horrible things are going to happen and I don't have any control and I don't know um, what's next and uh, I don't know when I'm going to break, which is very easy to get into with astrology. But rather than go there, um, we can come back to how do we want to work with the energy in a way that's um, helping us get where we want to go? Because in, in the end, in the end, all of astrology is looking at cycles of time, how energies 
operate over cycles of time in our lives. And at least my version of what we're doing in our lives is, I, um, I get stuck for words here. It's not so much evolving, at least not evolving towards some ideal of perfection. I'm sure I've talked about that before, but it's that it's a, it's a journey. It's a process. Um, we have desires that we want to see come into effect. We want to be certain ways. We want to feel certain ways. We want to feel certain things. We want to experience certain things. And this co-creative process with these planetary energies is about understanding them, being conscious of them, and then holding those intentions as we cooperate with them as they are, as they show up um, in their purest forms. Um, and so again, you know, like if, if we're thinking about Mars as an example, it has an energy of separating or cutting. It has an energy of action and animating. Um, it's not necessarily sudden, but it is a drive, right? Whereas Venus is more of an attractor. Venus is more of a relaxer. Venus is more about drawing towards us, drawing in. Mars is about pushing out. And so when we want to work with the Mars energy, the archetypes, the warrior, the pioneer, um, the you know, whatever archetype you want to come up with, those are useful for helping us understand the energy. But if we get stuck in a particular archetype, oh, it's a warrior, that means we're going to war. That's when it's not useful. That's when we start to, um, if you will, give away our power and our, our power of a discernment, our power of cooperation and co-creation, because we've become stuck in a particular way of thinking of how an energy will show up. So Saturn um, may be the other perfect example for, well, because, you know, we're talking about the malefics, right? Um, we could just as easily talk about the benefics, uh, Venus and Jupiter, and again, taking the value judgment out of them, and then sinking back down to the foundation of what the actual neutral energy is, rather than getting stuck in some version of an archetype. Um, but Saturn's another good one as, an, as the other malefic. And I've talked about it quite a bit, I'm sure, in previous episodes. But Saturn is the contracting force. Saturn's not doing something to us. It's an energy that's interacting with our energy. And it's a contracting, crystallizing, focusing energy. And so when Saturn comes around, rather than getting stuck in the idea that, oh, Saturn is hard, Saturn's hard work, Saturn is all about things that we don't like experiencing, we can think about where do I need to focus? What is calling for my focus and commitment? And where do I need to take responsibility as in where do I need to take on the ability to respond in a focused, committed way? 
that's Saturn. That's the energy. That's the more pure energy, if you will, of Saturn. That's the pure impersonal energy of Saturn. And um, if you've done any work with the non-personal awareness, uh, Belinda Noakes is a practitioner of that, and she's been on the web, the podcast a couple of times, then you know that that whole, um, that whole modality is to help us understand uh, and in a useful way in our lives that what we're feeling and what's happening is um, a play, an interplay of energies that are not personal. They just have particular qualities and characteristics. And it's when we start layering stories onto them and getting stuck in those stories that they can create suffering. That's when Mars creates suffering. That's when Saturn creates suffering. That's when even Venus can create suffering or Neptune or any of the planets. Um, we'll be talking about all of this, obviously, in the class, the karma and astrology class. And of course, that will be, this, was all, this will also be interwoven in the podcast episodes that talk about astrology. We can use this example in other ways. Um, well, let me, uh, there's a couple of other things I want to say astrologically, and that's that we talk about planets as the energies and the, and the actors. They're the active energies in the sky. Things don't happen without a planet um, being there. But planets, and then we think about the signs I, as like the, the filters or the, the um, archetypal clothing or costume that the planet uh, expresses through. Um, but this, none of these things None of these are completely, nothing lasts forever in a particular form, right? Everything is changing and evolving and expanding and contracting um, and ebbing and flowing. And that includes the planetary energies based on how, at least in part, on how we work with them and how we perceive them and how we, um, how we build them in a sense. And then this is also true with planets and signs. And I just wanted to kind of throw one more concept in there that when a planet like Pluto, for instance, is in a sign for some length of time, such as Pluto in Capricorn right now, since 2008 and until finally 2004, although it leaves for a while next year to uh, or 2024, right? Uh, leaves for a while next year, 2023. Um, that planet actually has an effect on the sign. And so Capricorn, um, I think one of the things we're seeing right now at the tail end of planet and Capricorn, uh, uh, Pluto and Capricorn is really this, um, like the, the, well, the, the, the reconstruction, rebirth, uh, transformation of Capricorn energy in general, and even maybe a transformation of how, well, definitely how we understand Capricorn. Because again, um, because we don't do things in isolation, because we don't, as astrologers and astrology, as human beings, 
interpreting and talking to each other. It's not separate from our surroundings and our culture and what we're immersed in. Capricorn has had um, a particular kind of meaning over, you know, however many centuries that it's been built up. And it's undergoing a shift now. And in my view, a much needed um, shift. And that has to do with, um, again, authority and power. Um, those things are part of Capricorn. Um, they're definitely part of Pluto. And Pluto is shaking up Capricorn. So we can uh, maybe lose some of the kind of patriarchal overlays onto the sign itself. That Capricorn is about um, authority and institutions and uh, control and ambition, um, all the places where we can see some of the shadows of Capricorn, always wanting to be right, always wanting to know. And as somebody with lots of Capricorn in my chart, I'm particularly sensitive to the, the um, interpretations. But Pluto at this tail end of Capricorn has had, well, what is that? A long time. <laughs> Rather than doing the math, let's just say a very long time to kind of upend and change and transform the sign itself. So it's just another example of co-creation. But if I get back to that more personal level that I really wanted to focus on here, I mean, I called this astrology and free will because I just see us giving away our free will, our ability of choice um, to planets and to astrology. And I wanted to give us a way to think about it differently so that we can make more conscious decisions about how we want astrology and astrologers to participate in our lives. Um, and so again, that whole thing about free will, it's not like we can, it, it, it's not that I'm saying it's useful to ignore what the energy of a planet is. Um, it wouldn't be useful, in other words, to start treating Mars like Venus or to start treating Mars like something else. It's, but it's, it's, it's about getting unstuck from the stories and unstuck from the stories through the archetypes and then getting deeper in my sense, the way I think about it, it's getting more and more into the pure energy aspect of each of the planets, each of the signs, um, and then allowing ourselves to co-create with them. And the last thing, I guess the last thing I want to say in terms of a personal look at this and this personal way that we give away um, our power to astrology and astrologers is that, well, okay, uh, one example is an astrologer telling somebody when they're going to die. Can you imagine what would happen if an astrologer said you're going to die at a particular age or in a particular way, how would that work for you to have that stuck in your mind throughout your life? Um, and again, because we co-create our lives, this is why it's so incumbent on astrologers when they're working with people. And even if they're mundane and they're talking about events to think about what concept am I sticking in somebody's mind 
and allow it to be a conversation and a co-creation and come back to what are the energies. Most of you, if you've listened for a while, you know that I just am at the, well, actually I'm in the middle of two very personal transits from Pluto, one across my son and one um, across my descendant. Um, and Pluto is uh, the planet of death and rebirth. It can mean a literal death, but that's not how I've perceived it. And certainly there's a lot of things in my life and in myself that have died over the last few years, but I'm still here, right? Um, and that's a whole long conversation about Pluto and what its purpose is and what it does. But to predict, for instance, a death, um, because Pluto has a connotation of death to somebody uh, is, is taking away their ability to co-create with the pure energy of the planet. And um, so, okay, so that's, that's another illustration, but the other piece, and, and so the reason I'm telling you this, and so that's one example, is people being told, you know, based on techniques, and there are lots of techniques for predicting death, not that I don't use them, so don't ask. Um, there are techniques for predicting those kinds of things and illness and this and that and the other. Um, but that's one of the ways of misusing it. Another, uh, another common thing I hear from people, too common, um, and that I've heard recently is that people have been told they have difficult charts or they have challenging charts or that um, just that their life is going to be difficult or challenged in a particular way because of, of the way it looks, the way the energies are set up. And often it's because there are a lot of squares or oppositions or a T-square or a grand cross or something like that, that where there's a lot of that dynamic energy in the chart. And again, if we get to a more pure understanding of the energies at play, what we know, what we can understand is that a square in the chart doesn't mean that things are fighting with each other. Doesn't, you can use the word conflict, but more useful probably is the word tension, the word dynamic. Um, and again, uh, some of us don't, we think we don't like to feel tension and yet tension creates energy tension, um, tension requires movement. So if there's no tension in the chart, we could say that there might, and of course there's always tension in the chart, even if it's subtle, but if we didn't see any tension in the chart, then we would see a life that maybe didn't have a lot of movement towards to it. And that's fine. That's not a good or a bad, but to look at a chart with a lot of red red lines is the way I call it, you know, a lot of squares and oppositions and tension in it, and then say, oh, it's a challenging life, or oh, it's a difficult life, or oh, you're, you have a lot of bad karma, or whatever word somebody comes up with. Again, it's a way of taking away somebody's power, putting a concept in their head, that then that that's the concept that they co-create with, because what we, if you remember the basic definition of karma is it shows us what we put our faith in, what we hold in our hearts, um, or in some cases, maybe in our heads, 
what we believe, the stories and survival stories that we hold and that become these knots that then play out in a particular way uh, until we work with them consciously with love and compassion. Um, and so I've talked, as usual, I've talked longer than I thought I intended to, but I hope that gives you um, maybe a little bit of a way to, if, if you go for a reading with me or somebody else, if you take classes, if you listen to other astrology talks, um, if you read astrology books, if you study, and this of course applies to all aspects of life, right? Um, I'm tempted to give an example of how many people are relating right now to the Supreme Court of the United States after, after some of the big decisions and the, um, the controversy that has come out of them over the last few weeks. We forget in this country that we are co-creators of our government. We are co-creators of all aspects of our government. And that's true everywhere. It's a little bit um, maybe harder to see in countries that are more mi militarized or um, more tyrannical. Although I think there are certainly tyranny aspects of the United States right now that have um, tyrannical feeling to them. Um, but again, we forget that all these institutions are also co-creations. And so if we can understand the concept with the planets and the signs and the, our charts in particular, maybe that can filter out um, into how we understand our relationship with the world in general. So that's enough for today. Thank you again for listening. If you want more of these, um, if you want more of the specifics of the planets and karma and um, what these energetic knots look like in your own chart and how to interpret them, then again, uh, my, my Discover Karma in the Astrology chart starts on Friday, July 10th or July 15th. And if you sign up by tomorrow night, Sunday night, uh, you get all the bonuses that I mentioned at the beginning. And um, in any case, uh, I hope to see you there, but thank you so much for listening. You can also become a patron to support the show. Thank you so much to those of you that have signed up as patrons on Patreon. Uh, I appreciate it. And um, more soon. Thank you much. Have a great day.